You're listening to Packers Talk Network. PackersTalk.com. Do you want to experience the thrill of a Packers game at Lambeau Field? If so, be sure to get your guaranteed authentic tickets from theticketking.com, a longtime trusted source and local Green Bay business. Just go to PackersTalk.com slash tickets for more information and ticket links. That's PackersTalk.com slash tickets. Talking Pack. The Green Bay Packers won't lose to the Denver Broncos. They can't lose to the Denver Broncos. They just lost to the Denver Broncos. And with that, I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Lemp's Talking Pack. I am your host, Chris Lempesis, coming to you once again from my basement Packer room. In my home in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, here to break down Green Bay's, oh dear lord, do I really have to do a show about this, 19-17 to road loss to the Denver Broncos on Sunday at Empower Field at Mile High. <sighs> I mean, are you sure I can't talk about something else, you guys? I mean, my Detroit Red Wings are 5-1, and one, off to an incredibly hot start to the season. The Milwaukee Bucks start Thursday. Come on, Damon, Giannis, together. I could even talk about my Minnesota Gophers finally reclaiming Floyd of Rosedale with a controversial win over Iowa on Saturday. Maybe? Wouldn't any of that be more fun? Come on! Oh, all right, damn it, we'll talk, Packers. You win. Two and four now. Two and four. They had two weeks to get ready for this game. Two weeks against the dog shit Broncos. Two weeks. And they still couldn't win. Just, you know, I don't remember what I predicted Green Bay's record would be at this point in the season when I did the season preview podcast. I was too depressed to go back and check tonight. But it wasn't two and goddamn four. I know that much. I'll tell you that. There's, I mean, there's a lot of problems on this team. That's for freaking sure, man. I tell you what, I got a can of Miller Lite here. Ah, it's, it's gonna, Miller Lite, you're gonna have to help get me through this. You really are. My old friend, Miller Lite. Oh, and did I mention I'm going to Lambeau in two weeks to see them play the LA Rams? I'll tell you what, I'm gonna need a lot more alcohol than I've had tonight if I'm gonna make it through that if something doesn't change quick. My wife joked about selling the tickets tonight after the game, and I was like, to who? Who would even want to buy them? Christ, we might have to pay someone to take the tickets at this point. With the loss, oh, this part's going to be fun, isn't it, Jesus? The Packers are, as previously stated, 2-4. and four. They're now in a tie with next week's opponent, the Minnesota Vikings. How are these words coming out of my mouth at this point in the season? For second in the NFC North, a 2-4. and four. Whoopee. Vikings play San Francisco tomorrow night on Monday Night Football in Minneapolis, so their record obviously will change one way or another, and of course, more on them towards the end of the show. The Chicago Bears, oh Jesus, oh my God, God help me. Uh, Vince in heaven, help me. Uh, they're only a half game back at Green Bay and Mini now in last place at 2-5 and five after, they de- after they defeated the Las Vegas Raiders 
in Chicago on Sunday by a 30-12 count. So if you're keeping score, Chicago's backup quarterback, Tyson, is it Bagent? Bajent? I don't even know how to say his last name. I'm not even going to learn how to pronounce it. How's that? Whatever his name is. He could beat Vegas. Packers couldn't beat Vegas. Oh, yeah, let that sink in. That's a tough one, but let that sink in for a minute. And the Detroit Lions are still well ahead in first place in the North at 5-2, and two, even after getting their asses blown out by the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore on Sunday, 38-6. That was a surprise. I was I thought that was going to be a really good game. That was over fast, I'll tell you what. <laughs> I structured that part a little weirdly, didn't I? Saying the Lions part last, but I don't know. Come on, man, I'm in a bad place right now. Let me be. Before we get into the fun, and how could you not be having fun already, I'm going to take another drink of Miller Lite. Just for my own sake. Today's game sucked, but Miller Lite, you are. Miller Lite, you are always good. I have to do the shameless self-promotion, which I know you love, or at the very least tolerate Twitter, whatever it's called now. It's always going to be Twitter. That shithole will always be Twitter to me. Lemps, M-K-E, at It's Just Chris Now. The Facebook, Old Bag of Donuts, O-L Bag of Donuts. The email, oldbagadonuts, olbagofdonuts at gmail.com. And I'm on Instagram now. Again, I don't even know what why am I on there. But I am. So uh, you can find me by searching for Lamps Talk and Pack. That's my handle there. And then look for that green donut that I know you all love so damn much. For anyone listening on the wonderful Packers Talk iTunes page, leave a rating. Five stars. Me likey those the most. Four stars are good too. Maybe a comment. I'm certainly a little down in the dumps right now after today's game. So if you like the show, maybe a positive comment. That would help lift my spirits. Just saying. I'm I'm definitely begging for compliments. I'm not gonna lie. I'm I'm not too I'm not I'm not uh I'm not I ain't too proud for that, I'll tell you that. Um you can find us on Spotify by searching for Packers Talk and looking for our logo, which is the head of the Vince Lombardi statue, which sits outside Lambeau Field. Sure, Vince was disgusted by what he saw today somewhere out there in the afterlife. Um, so yeah, uh, Packers talk. Look for the Lombardi, the logo, the Lombardi statue, the head of the Lombardi statue. And if you're subscribing there, which you should be, look right at the top. There's a little box with a star. Click on it again. Five stars. We like you those the most. Four okay two. Haven't had one in a minute. Come on, guys. Let's go, chop, chop. Make us feel a little better by leaving one. Again, it all helps with the the algorithm. Helps get Packers talk, better placement when people are searching for Packers pods. So they can maybe stumble on our little, you know, operation here. That would be good, right? Uh, we're on the iHeartRadio app as well. You can find us there. And if you listen on a platform I don't mention, as always, please let me know what it is. I would love to know what it is. And just subscribe. Uh, this is the part where I'm going to just subscribe. Just mindlessly mash down on that subscribe button, whatever your platform is. Then we deliver these pods right to you, right to your phone. Right? You wake up Monday morning, I'm there. You wake up, what is it? What, Thursday morning? What, Thursday morning, right? Cheesehead Radio, they're there. We have five shows, we have, and we have three other shows too. We have five shows now. For free. For free. You're not going to get a better deal than that. You know? Doesn't cost you anything. Don't be a cheap bastard. Come on, man. And hey, let's help keep growing Packers Talk, right? Tell a friend, tell a coworker, a relative, your mom, whatever. 
And if you hate us, tell an enemy, because we're still going to be here. It doesn't matter if you like us or not. Okay, and before we go any further, we have a special offer for our listeners. 25% off the new Jerry Kramer biography. Jerry Kramer, of course, Hall of Famer, member of those great Lombardi Packers teams, right? Jerry Kramer, come on, man. He's the man. He's got a new biography titled Run to Win. Just go to triumphbooks.com slash run to win and use the offer code Packers Talk. Again, triumphbooks.com slash run to win. Offer code Packers Talk, 25% off. That sounds like a great deal, doesn't it? It sure does to me. Okay, <sighs> now that we done got all that out the way, let's go. Let's dive right in. Let's talk about this Packers. L. A deep sigh with that one. You got to do that thing with your lips, you know, where you go, there we go. When you really, you know, it's a real deep sigh. You got to do that for this type of game. A, how is this even possible? Level L, if you will. Not quite rock bottom, though. Saw some people saying that on social media after the game. No, no, no. We're not there yet. It seems like it, but we're not quite there yet. Now, if they lose at home next week to Minnesota, yeah, that's going to be rock bottom. They're only hovering about a foot or two above rock bottom, though. That I will say. If you remember, I'm dating myself here a little bit, but if you remember the first Mission Impossible movie where Tom Cruise is like working on that laptop, right? And the rope breaks and it looks like he's going to fall the way to the floor and he like stops about an inch. It looks like about maybe three or four inches above the floor and he's like waving his arms and legs so they don't touch the ground. That's about how close the Packers are to rock bottom. Not quite, but almost. And there's really no other place I can start tonight than by talking about yet another slow offensive start from this team. Another terrible start from the offense. Another just abysmal first half. Look, I need to be crystal clear about this. Crystal clear. This is where the Packers lost this game. Okay? Not in the second half. No, no, no. The first half. You simply cannot be this pathetic offensively over and over in the first halves of games and expect to win. Not with any regularity anyways. You cannot throw away the first 30 minutes of a game week after week. And yet that's exactly what Green Bay has been doing this season. What did Rob Domovsky, Packers beat reporter for ESPN.com, what did he say on Twitter? Six total first half points in their last four games. Six total first half points in their last four games. The first time they've been held to three or fewer first half points in four straight games in a season since 1988. Oh, we're back to the late 80s now. That team went 4-12, and by the way, which, hey, that may be where this thing is headed this year. I'll tell you what. Four real possessions in the first half, five in all, but that last one was just that last play of the half with, like, five seconds left or whatever it was, so that doesn't really count. 100 total yards of offense, zero points against that terrible Broncos defense. Zero points. Green Bay had been averaging, I believe, 94 yards of offense in the first half coming into this one. So 100 is, hey, that's an improvement. Only not really, because they actually only had 86 yards of offense until that meaningless draw by Emmanuel Wilson at the end of the second quarter. 
That got 14 yards. That's what got them to the century mark. So we're happy for you. Just terrible, you know? Terrible. All that talk from Matt LaFleur about self-scouting and finding an identity and helping his offense get into a rhythm, it turned out to be just that, didn't it? Talk. Other than a couple of moments early, there was no real attempt at playing fast or speeding up the tempo or anything like that. If you've been listening to the show, you know it's something I've been screaming about. A lot of other people have been screaming about for weeks now. Something they should try. Didn't really happen. As for finding an identity, I don't know about you guys and gals. I really didn't see any sort of plan other than locking the training wheels on Jordan Love and dinking and dunking it in the passing game. I guess that's what LaFleur landed on in the search for an identity. Hey, let's have damn near every route be seven yards or less. Oh my goodness. They seem to almost completely avoid the middle of the field. Wasn't that supposed to be a thing now that Aaron Rodgers is gone? We're going to work the middle of the field. That was supposed to be a thing, right? Am I delusional? Did I just imagine him saying that and everybody saying that? I don't know. I don't think so. I think I heard that. You know, they were actually going to use the middle of the field. Didn't really happen. Everything in that first half, or almost everything as far as the passing game, felt like it was out on the edges. What the hell is that? What the hell is that? You know? Oh. And it wasn't like they tried to run it more or anything as the three main backs, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, and Wilson, they only combined for 10 carries. So it wasn't like, oh, well, we're going to, you know, become more run-based. That wasn't that wasn't what it was. And, and all that showed too, man, when you added it all up. Is it just, I mean, in that first half, it felt like pulling teeth just to get a few yards on every play. Like, really, like, they had to grind just to get, like, three or four yards. Let alone first downs or anything like that. It all just felt completely rudderless once again. Just a very poorly prepared team, clearly, which falls directly at the feet of the head coach, Matt LaFleur. Now, yes, things did get much better in the second half, obviously. Green Bay scoring 17 points in four possessions. The play calling was better. It wasn't nearly as conservative. There was more of a focus on kind of what I would call the intermediate passing game in that like 9 to 15 or 16 yard range, it seemed like. Uh, They actually used the middle of the field a little bit. That was nice to see. They ran the ball better. And hey, look, that's all great. It is. But when you start slowly like the Packers did, even being down just 9 nothing at the half, like they were here, you basically have to be perfect or something pretty freaking close to perfect offensively in the second half. If you want to come out victorious, that didn't happen. And then a big reason for them falling just short can also be found in a pair of really poor second half decisions from Love. Oof, really bad. The first came on Green Bay's first drive of the third quarter. Uh, It was the first for either team. So facing a third and fourth, the Denver 11, really nice drive to start the second half. Third and four, let's pick this up. Let's pick this up and get another first down. Let's get it to first and goal. On we go. Instead, Love declines throwing a screen to Jones, who had two blockers in front of him. Go find the screenshot if you can online. It's nice. And likely would have picked up at least the first down, if not a touchdown. Instead, opting for the fade to Romeo Dobbs in the end zone, Love's pass was poorly thrown and a drive that easily could have ended in seven points 
instead ends with a 29-yard Anders Carlson field goal, 9-3 Denver early in the third. Now, maybe it didn't seem like it at the time to a lot a lot of people, but to me, that felt like a big, a big moment. Like, yeah, there's a lot of ball game left, but it just felt like, you know, man, they really had to get that one. And that was just a bad, that was a really poor decision. You know, one very reminiscent of something we would have seen from Aaron Rodgers last year. Like, passing up the easy first down, likely touchdown to go for it all in the end zone. Just... That was a kind of a, that was kind of a, I don't know if I'd say full on hero ball, but pretty close to a hero ball decision, which as you know, I'm no, I'm no fan of. Um, and then on his final pass of the game, the pass intended for Samari Toure that ends up being intercepted. I mean, look, I get there aren't a ton of great options on third and 20. You know, the play sheet is pretty thin <laughs> in that situation. That holding call on Elton Jenkins was a real killer, of course, but shit, man. It, it's likely, you know, you're looking at two-down territory there, maybe. So just try to set yourself up for a somewhat manageable fourth-down play. You don't need to get all 20 back in one shot. There was still a minute and 52 to go on the clock. A minute and 52 left. Just try to make it fourth and 10 or fourth and 11 or something, you know? Anything but that. Even if, even if, they, even if you get, say, 14 yards on that third down, right? He'd still be giving Carlson a chance at a 57-yarder to take the lead back. Even that would have been better. The really troubling thing, that decision just looked so much like his decision at the end of the Vegas game, didn't it? Very, very similar. Third down, you know, you don't need to go for the deep shot necessarily. And yet that's exactly what Love did again today. And look, the decision-making, we have to be honest, that was a big question mark for him coming out of college, and it's still very much an issue for him seven games into his first season as the starting quarterback. To see him make the same kind of, you know, that old, you know, the old watch this throw. (laughs) Two games in a row when it was simply not necessary. It's not a great sign as far as his development goes. No. You know, and I don't want every week to be kind of the referendum on Jordan Love's future. But it's just, it's not a great sign. I think, you know, that's, you you can definitely say that. That's not unfair to say. Definitely not great. You know, and it's not great that he's already had four chances to win it at the end or near the end of a game for the Packers. And he's only pulled it off one time thus far. That's not a great sign either. Again, not saying it's always going to be that way or that he's doomed or anything like that. I'm just saying it's not a great sign right now. No, not at all. You know, and those two really poor decisions overshadow what was an overall much better second half for Love compared to his first 30 minutes. So in the second half, Love, 11 of 18, 133 yards, 7.4 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, and then the one pick. Love in the first half, only 10 of 13, 47 yards. Ay, 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 3.6 yards per attempt, no touchdowns or picks. So obviously much better in the second half. But Love, much like his head coach, simply left too many plays and moments and stretches of the game on the table once again. And if things don't get more consistent, much more consistent, fast, this could end up being a very, very long season for not just the offense, but the Green Bay Packers as a whole. Okay, let me take another drink of Miller Lite. So those are my main thoughts on the game. Let's go to the Twitter. Let's go to the bags, right? The Twitter bag, the facey bag, the email bag, 
the IG bag, all the bags. We're going to open them all to get to all your questions and comments and everything else. So let's start now. All right, let's go to Twitter first. All right, our first one comes from, these are no particular order, Justin Cornwell, longtime friend of the show, at Justin A. Cornwell, goes back to the Podbean days. Anybody who listened, as I always say, back in those Podbean days when I had like 100 people listening, like anywhere from like 80 to like 110 or 120 people listening that first year, you guys always get an extra, you get an extra gold star for me for that. That's, I always appreciate that a little bit more. All right, Justin writes, I saw someone say earlier that the Packers have had fourth quarter leads in every game except Detroit. That's actually pretty wild considering how awful the first halves have been outside of Atlanta. You would think being in every game late would be fun, but this has not been fun. No, you know what, Justin? It really, it hasn't been much fun. <laughs> I think a couple of other people that have written, that, that wrote in tonight have said that too. It hasn't been much fun. No. I think a big part of that is at least for me, it's like, what is this team? It's like, yeah, they've had these fourth quarter leads and, and and haven't been able to hang on or whatever. And you know what I mean? The Atlanta game easily could have gone their way. The Vegas game could have easily gone their way. Today could have easily gone their way. And instead of what? Two and four? What are they? Are they five and one? Yeah, with the only loss being the Detroit game. So yeah, it's like, yeah, those things could have easily gone Green Bay's way and they could be five one. I think it hasn't been fun just because... Like, what is this team? You know? I think that's a big part. Like, who are the 2023 Green Bay Packers? What are they? Big burp. Almost 21 minutes in. Got to keep it real. Uh, Like, what are they? You know? In years past, it's always been an offensive-led team. So it was always like, well, we kind of know what they are. And I think that helps. It's just like, they're not, they're not a great offensive team. I just spent 15, 20 minutes talking about that. <laughs> They're certainly not a great defensive team. The defense was, you know, I didn't really talk about them yet, but they were, you know, they did not do a good job of playing complimentary football in that second half when the offense started to get things going. You know, they're not a great special team. They don't have great special teams. Like, like I don't know what this team is. And I think that's kind of part of what's made it not as much fun. It's like not knowing, do you know what I mean? At least I think that's where I'm at right now. All right, so thank you for that, Justin. Uh, our next one comes from my former Old Bag of Donuts podcast co-host, one of my bestest friends in the world, Adam Summers, brew crewer at a Summers underscore time. He writes, what can, be, what can I say that hasn't been said already? Maybe Rodgers was right about LaFleur's offense. Why do they refuse to run the offense through Jones? Can they unleash Musgrave at some point? But I guess lastly, maybe you were correct on your initial assessment on Watson? I'm still so effing angry at this team. I don't really care about the losses. It's a rebuilding and evaluation here. But it is the lack of any positive progress, and in fact, they are regressing. It is. It just isn't fun. So, yeah, a lot to unpack here, buddy. Um, why do they refuse to run the offense? You know, the Jones thing is an interesting question because he, you know, by all accounts, was ready to play. Jonesy was ready to play, and yet... Eight carries, 35 yards, three touches, or three receptions, 20, 22 yards. So 11 touches for 57 yards. 11 touches? Like, is he ready or not? Because if he's not ready, he shouldn't be playing. You know what I mean? If he's only at like 80 or 85%, he shouldn't be playing. But like I always, if he's good enough, you know what I mean? If you're good enough to suit up, 
then you should be good enough to go through your regular usage. And that's not happening with Jones. And I don't understand it either. I don't understand how they've how they've handled that this year. It's very confusing to me. Um Musgrave. Well, he Musgrave had that one nice play in the second half, the 18-yard reception where he the, the dirty hit from Jackson that got Jackson ejected. And then Musgrave got hurt on the play and we find out later he was leaving the lock of the locker room, excuse me, uh, with a boot on his left foot, a walking boot. So I don't know. He may be out for a while. We'll have to see. But, you know, I, I don't understand the Musgrave thing either. I, I've been screaming about it on Twitter ever since the Vegas game. Like, once they come back from the bye, can they have Musgrave run some routes that aren't, you know, three yards from the line of scrimmage, four yards from the line of scrimmage? He, he at this point, is not great at breaking tackles. Which is fine. He's a rookie. He doesn't have that strength yet. But then get him downfield and let him do what he does best, which is use that size and speed to get downfield and make big plays. And they haven't done that. They finally did it on the one play in the second half. They get 18 yards, and then he gets hurt and gets knocked out of the game. But you could see in that one moment, that's what Musgrave, that's how he should be used. You know? Someone said to me on Twitter last week, LaFleur's using him like Richard Rogers. <laughs> back in the day and I thought that's that's perfectly sad he is that's exactly how they're using him it doesn't make any sense so hopefully when he comes back whenever that is like get him downfield that's what you drafted him for not to be a three or four yard off the line of scrimmage guy not to be a tight end screen guy it's a downfield weapon hopefully that happens was I correct on my initial assessment on Watson uh you know I got to be careful how I say this because, as you remember, I did not like the Watson pick. And then towards the end of last season, I kind of, you know, changed my mind and said I was wrong. I think he's going to be the next great Packers receiver. And at this point, I don't know. Can he stay healthy? That injury at the end of the game looked bad. I don't want to jump to any conclusions, but that did not look great. You know, and like I said, like I said on Twitter after the game, and I was, I wanted to be really clear about it. I am in no way, shape, or form saying Christian Watson is a wuss or a wussy, or a wimp, or a sissy, or any of that stuff. Or not a tough guy. Look, he's in the NFL. Every guy in the NFL is 100,000 times tougher than I could ever be. I'm not saying that he's a weakling or anything like that. I'm just saying at this point, I'm starting to wonder if his body can handle the punishment of playing in the NFL. Which, to be fair, most bodies can't. I just don't know if he's going to be able to handle it. It's just always an injury with him. He's He can't make it more than a few games without getting hurt. That's not a great sign. And you know what I've said before? I, I think I've said it on the show. I know I've said this on Twitter. You know, the injuries are going to be what... Is Watson going to be Tyreek Hill? Or is he going to be Will Fuller? Because if he can't stay healthy and he can't stay on the field, you know... People thought Will Fuller was going to be great early in his career, too. Very similar, you know, height, weight, speed, skill set guy. Will Fuller couldn't stay healthy. And it just never happened for him. Not really. That's where Watson's going to be if he can't stay healthy. And I just, I fear that maybe his body isn't built to handle NFL-level punishment. Which, again, for the third time, is not a knock on Christian Watson. It's just the way I see it right now. You know? I had all the. I said. I, like I said on Twitter after the game. I go. I'm not saying he's a wimp. And I had a bunch of people go. Well, I'm saying he's a wimp. I'm not. <laughs> I'm just saying. I have my doubts that he can stay healthy. Um. And I get it. I'm angry too. You know. 
you're right. It's not a it's not a wins losses. That's not what was going to determine this year. It was going to the progress of Love in particular, but this young offense as a whole, the progress they made or didn't make would determine whether or not this, this year was a success. And right now, it's not trending in the right direction. You're right. They are regressing. It's been tough to watch. I agree. So thank you for all that, buddy. Really appreciate it. Um, Next one comes from Paul at PackerPaul24. He writes, I guess I'm just wondering at what point Matt LaFleur is going to change. The first half suck is entirely on him, is it not? Why does it take halftime for the play calling to change such that the offense can gain yards? It's just nonsensical. In my humble opinion, execution doesn't happen week in and week out without it failing entirely. Instead, on one of two things. Both of which are the sole responsibility of coaching staff, play calling, and preparation. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff here, Paul. Um, You know, I don't know. I said at one point on Twitter during the game today, I, I wonder if... Because they were so conservative to start the game today. I guess he thought all the short passing stuff would open up stuff downfield. That didn't that didn't seem like a great plan to me, and obviously it didn't work well. Um, I'm trying to figure out what to say here. Uh, it felt like he was... It felt like early in the year, right? It feels like LaFleur was very content to just kind of let love go early in the year. And that wasn't working. You know? The 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 accuracy wasn't there. The deep passing game stuff wasn't there. They wanted it to be, and it wasn't. And it feels like LaFleur now has overcorrected, especially at the start of games. Thinking about the Detroit game was this way, too, in particular. Where he's really overcorrected the last few weeks. And is now being incredibly conservative with Jordan Love to start the games. And then they get to the second half and they're in a hole and it's like, all right, well, now we'll open it up a little bit more. Like, I guess that's my long-winded way of saying it feels like he's he's not, he hasn't found that, that sweet spot for Love. Where he's not too aggressive, but not everything is three yards from the line of scrimmage. You know what I mean? There's got to be a middle area. And it just feels like Lafleur hasn't found that yet. And the fact that there's six games in and he hasn't, I mean, that's really frustrating. It's really frustrating. It is. So, yeah, it's not great. Um, and I agree. I mean, this is all on him, you know? He's just done, like I said, he's just done a really poor job of having this team prepared to play. Of having a plan in place. He's done a, yeah, he's done a, he's done a piss poor job. I agree. So thank you, Paul. I hope I answered that for you. All right, our next one, our final Twitter question, comes from Brad Artman, at Brad Artman. He writes, I was so excited to see Matt LaFleur's offense as it was supposed to be run. I'm starting to question just how competent of a play caller he is. And did Jones say something bad about Matt LaFleur's mother? That's the only reason I can see why he's not playing him. And he says, Joe Barry on the flight home, and he sends the gift from Forrest Gump when Forrest is a kid, and he's walking on the bus, and everybody's going, Sate's taken. Sate's taken. Is that a good Southern accent? I hope so. So, all right, Brad, let's let's get to your comments here. Um, here's the thing. I think Lafleur. I don't think he's a terrible play caller because, again, I thought I don't think you can say he's a terrible play caller overall because, like I said earlier in the show, he was a lot better in that second half. You know, I think for Love right now, Love's strength in the as far as throwing the ball is really in that intermediate spot, like I talked about. In that, like, 
9 to like 16 yard range seems to be where he's most comfortable. If he has a place to hang his hat right now, I think that's where it is as a quarterback. That, and I think he's a better athlete than people think. He's pretty good on the move. Those are the two things I think you can kind of maybe build off of with Love. And it feels like early in games, again, like I said, LaFleur to start the year was too content to just let everything be, you know, 25 yards downfield, 35, 40 yards downfield. And now he's overcorrected again, and everything is like short to start games. The training wheels are way on. And it's like, Matt, there's a uh, there's a pretty obvious spot that seems to be successful for you guys. And for whatever reason, he's just not going there early in games, and I don't understand it. You know, I don't get it. The Jones thing, I guess they're just being cautious with him. Like I said, I don't really know. To me, if a guy is, is healthy enough to suit up, again, he's healthy enough to get his regular usage or something close to it, and 11 touches for Jonesy is not, it's not nearly enough. No. Especially in a game like this that was close and winnable, you know? And yeah, again, Joe Barry, I mean, I don't want to, like, let the defense off the hook. Because, again, they really, I thought, were... I thought in the first half they did okay, bending but not breaking. Nine points isn't terrible. But in that second half, you know, Packers start the third quarter with some positive stuff. They get three points on the board. Defense lets Denver go right down the field and get a touchdown. Which, as I said on Twitter, if you didn't see that coming, you're not a real Packers fan. And then Love gets him the lead late in the game off the goofy Farvish touchdown pass that goes off Dobbs' hands and Jaden Reed's there to catch it behind him. That totally felt like a Favre moment, didn't it? Uh, the defense lets Denver go right down the field and, and get what would be the game-winning field goal. I guess it's... I don't want to, like, excuse them, but, like... Because, again, they were bad, but... You know, I thought LaFleur said it well after the game. Like, if you give up 19 points in the NFL, that should be enough to win. So I can't really put too much of this on the defense, even though, again, I thought they were not great at playing complimentary football in that second half. This one's on the offense to me. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for that, Brad. I hope I answered everybody's questions on Twitter. Oh, I got to go to the DMs. I got to go to the DMs. All right. This first one comes from my buddy Rob. Gardner over in uh, the UK. Rob, I saw the stuff you sent me about your, um, was it your flag football team? Oh yeah, flag football team. I'm going to write you back about that. Don't worry. I thought that was cool you sent that. Um, I appreciate that. But to your question now, Rob writes, just wow. Do they know how to play with one's emotions? Apart from two drives, much of the same. I think I am no longer a fire JB person. Yes, he is a massive part of the problem, but I'm starting to think Matt LaFleur needs to go. Tell me, what is our identity? (laughs) I'm not even going to stay up and watch Matt LaFleur's press response. Surprise me by not saying we need to give Jones the ball more, etc., etc. Well, I hate to break it to you, Rob, but I do believe he said something to the effect of, I need to do a better job of putting our players in a position to succeed, which, I mean, he says that a lot, doesn't he? (laughs) Something similar. So I hate to break it to you, but he basically said the same stuff he always says, at least from what I saw. Um, well, see, that's the thing with Joe Barry, isn't it? Why is Joe Barry still here? Because of Matt LaFleur. So yeah, Joe Barry stinks. But like, he's Joe Barry. You know? I had a friend that used to, a former friend of mine used to make this joke about the um, the 2011 Packers 
after Collins, after Nick Collins got hurt. Oh, Nick Collins. How much do you love Nick Collins? After he got hurt and Charlie Pepper replaced him. Or no, did Pepper Pepper replace Morgan Burnett, whoever it was. When Pepper was in there, he made some plays, but he wasn't like a great player. And whenever Pepper would screw up on something, my buddy would always text me. It was just in quotes. He'd say, what do you expect from me? I'm Charlie Pepper. And the idea is the same for Joe Barry. Like, what do you expect from Joe Barry? Again, 19 points today. They had some shitty moments. And the run defense is a joke. That's never going to get any better. We know that. But like 19 points, that should be enough to win, shouldn't it? I feel like it should be. Today was on the offense to me, mostly. I'd say it's 90% on the offense today. Um, Again, I don't know what the identity is. I said that earlier in response to Justin's comment. I have no idea what this team's identity is. Young and growing, I guess. I don't really, they don't have one. Which again, kind of makes a lot of this like less fun. <laughs> um, So yeah, thank you for that, Rob. All right, our next one comes from... Uh, scroll up here. Kyle Truax, at Kyle Truax. He writes, Lamps, 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 lamps. What is there to say, really? This is not good. Not good. Keep the training wheels on. Suck. Take the training wheels off. Okay, we might have something. Suck. <laughs> I'm really on board with firing everyone at this point. Not going to happen. Yeah, I know. But this is complete horseshit. Ill-prepared once again. Poorly run defense once again. More injuries. I don't know if there are any positive takeaways. You have to beat the lowly Broncos. You just have to. Nope. All that's left is a big old mile-high turd burger. I never thought I'd experience what it's like to be a Bears fan, but here I am. And the Bears beat the Raiders. Ugh, I'm done. I don't know anymore. Give me something good. I'll hang up and listen. Thanks, Lemps. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you for that, Kyle. I I will do my best. Um, <laughs> a lot to say here. Okay, so I've, now I've seen some people talking about firing. Rob talked about it. And now you... You know, I just said last week, again, on the old uh, shithole Twitter, I said I, I really didn't think LaFleur was going anywhere. But after today, man, I don't know. Like, if this thing spirals out of control and they finish 4-13 and 13 or something, I believe he has three years left on his contract, would they do it? Would they fire? Would they move on from Goot? I don't know. See, because that's the thing. Like, this awkward transition that they have to make in July of 2025, when Mark Murphy, the president, right, hits 70, he has to step down and they have to have a new president. And while I think Murphy, if I if Mark Murphy's the Mark Murphy I know <laughs> from following following him all these years, if this really spirals, I think his his initial reaction will be to fire someone. But then, do you want to do that? If do you know what I'm saying? Like, do you want to say if they were just like clean house, which I've seen a lot of people suggesting, if they just said we're firing Gutekunst, we're firing Lafleur, and we're going to move on from Love and all that. You're hiring a new general manager and in what would be basically about, what, 18 months down the line, you would be passing that new general manager and head coach off to a team president who may not like them and may not, you know, he might not have hired those guys had he been in charge. But because those new guys will have been on the job such a relatively short amount of time, it's hard to see them going, you know, firing Goot and Lafleur, hiring a new guy a new GM and a new coach 
And then 18 months from now, or basically two years from now, that new, you know what I mean? Firing them. It just seems like a lot of change, I guess is what I'm trying. I hope I'm saying that right. It just seems like a lot of change for, for a team, for an organization that typically kind of fears change, <laughs> as we know. So I just, I have a hard time seeing Gutekunst and LaFleur and or LaFleur being fired, even if this thing really fucking spirals out of control. I feel like they're going to be back next year. Yeah. Yeah. And then after that, who knows? But I do think both will be back. Yes. I don't know if Joe Barry will be back. I don't think he will be. And I could see some of this offensive coaching staff being let go too. But I think Gutekunst and LaFleur will be back next year. Yeah. Um. So if you're looking for positivity there, I don't, I can't give it to you. Probably. Uh, let's see. Uh, poorly run. Yep, ill-prepared. Talked about that. Poorly run defense. More inj- Yeah, the injuries are really... To look at this team's injury report on Friday and see 10 guys listed on it coming off a bye week, that looked like an injury report that you would see like on the, on the Monday afternoon of a Thursday night game week. Right? They got a Thursday nighter coming up. The, the, the hypothetical injury report because they wouldn't practice on Monday. It would look something like that, you'd think. Not, again, for a team that's played one game all month before today. This The injury bug is ridiculous. Ridiculous. I don't get it. Um, It's a lot of hamstring stuff, too. What is that? Is that everywhere around the league? Or is that just green? What is that? Like, how does Eric Stokes not play a game for almost a year, comes back, he's not even playing defense, he's just playing special teams, and he injured his hamstring and was out for the game? Injured his hamstring on special teams. I feel like that can't be every team in the league. That has to be... The Packers have to be near the tops and hamstring injuries, right? I don't know. Maybe not, but it seems that way. Uh, you're right. You have to win. The, that's a big point. You have to win this game. You have to win this game. Denver is bad. They're really bad. You have to win this game. By hook or by crook, you got to win this game. And they didn't. So, you know, positive take. I just, I don't know. There aren't a ton right now. I'll say that. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you for that, Kyle. All right, let's move now to the emails. All right, hold on a second here. Pull these up. All right, our first one comes from Andrew from Tampa. Andrew writes, hey, Lemps, I saw the stat on the broadcast about Love being number two in the NFL on yards per attempt. No verification on this, but he must be near the bottom in yards per reception. Downfield throws look worse than my intramural flag football college team back in the day. I'm sadly surprised by anything beyond five yards that's caught while watching this team. If there's one positive note, I think LaFleur figured out just what to do to fix our drop pass problems. Just run another wide receiver right behind the target so someone has a chance to catch the ball. As always, I'll keep watching, but at this point, I don't know why. I look forward to the pod so we can grieve together, Andrew and Tampa. Well, thank you, Andrew. Yeah, I guess if anything, you know, hopefully these pods are, I don't want to, Copyright Packers therapy, but hopefully these pods are kind of therapeutic for everybody, and hopefully I make you feel at least a little bit better. If for no other reason than it's entertaining to tune in and listen to me scream like a maniac all alone in my basement. So I hope that helps at least a little bit. Um, me being a psycho. Uh yeah. His downfield accuracy is another the decision making is a big concern. You know, the fact that he's struggling in these late-game situations is a concern, and the downfield accuracy is really bad. 
It's really bad. And there's a bunch of stats out there. You can find them. I don't have any on hand, but his downfield passing has really, really been bad this year. And it's not getting any better. He had the one deep shot to Watson. I think it was in the second half at some point today. That Packers ended up getting a first down on a Denver penalty anyways. But, I mean, it wasn't even close. It was like, where is that ball, Jordan? And even the final throw to Turi, you know, was a poor decision. It was a terrible throw, too. Just hung that up there forever. You know? Even the touchdown to Dobbs. That he wrestled away from Sertan, which for some reason Gene Steratore thought was a Denver pick. I never, I've never heard the rule interpreted that way, but whatever. You do you, Gene. Um, even that, I mean, that was more a great catch by Dobbs to say to go up for it, high point it, and kind of wrestle it away than it was. You know what I mean? It's just like love's kind of all over the place. I think he's kind of maybe finding a strength in that intermediate game. But there's a lot of question marks, and certainly, you know, the downfield throws are one of them. He's just not getting a lot better. And it, it's if he's going to be the guy long-term, again, I don't want every week to be a referendum on Love's future, but if he's going to be the guy long-term, I mean, he's that's got to get better fast. They're not going to sign up for four or five years of Jordan Love if this is all he can do downfield. No, they're not. It's not going to happen. Um, That's funny, your thing about Lafleur. Having a guy run behind a guy. Again, that was a goofy... Didn't have, again, like one of those old, like, Brett Favre throws it, like, throws a rocket ball to Donald Driver, ricochets off his hands, and there's, like, Bubba Franks right behind him to, like, catch it. Bubba Franks doesn't even jump. It just goes right into his hands. I feel like I saw that play, like, at least three or four times during Favre's heyday. Um, so maybe that, yeah, maybe, maybe he stumbled on some... Maybe that's the identity. Who knows? I'll take anything at this point, Andrew. So thanks for writing in. Our next one comes from, uh, we have one of the Kyles. Kyle, who had Twitter, got rid of it, got it, got it again, and got rid of it again. Smart call, Kyle. This is the shortest email I've ever received doing this show. This is what? 18, 19, 20, 22. This is six, my sixth year doing this? This is the shortest email I've ever received. He titles his email speechless. And then, <laughs> the title. And then the actual body of the email just says, see subject, Kyle. <laughs> So speechless is what he's trying to say. Um, speechless, C subject, Kyle. That's it. That's the shortest email. Well, they say brevity is the key to communication, right? So there you go. Um, yeah, I was. I have to admit, like sitting down to like compile this show, I just kind of kept going. Like tonight, I kept going. Like, like how are my? How is this happening? Like, how did they lose this game? Like, how are they two and four? Like. It's like, none of it seems to make any sense. I thought this was going to be a good team. I said they won what? I think I said 11 and 6. Was it 10 and 7 or 11 and 6? I had them winning the division. I know that. That's what's been funny to me to see so much reaction on social media after the game. People going like, well, you know, it's a rebuilding year. I'm like, we didn't think that back in, we didn't, not that many of us thought that back in August. I think I seem to remember a lot of people thinking this team could win nine games, at least eight or nine games and compete for the division. You know, feels like a lot of people are changing their tune on and going, well, you know, it's a rebuilding year. I don't feel like we thought that, you know, we thought wins and losses weren't the most important thing, but we all, I think most people thought this team could compete and win games and it's not happening. So yeah, I'm speechless. Even with all the youth, I thought it would happen. I'm speechless. So well said, Kyle. Our next one comes from Ed, my buddy Ed. He writes, well, we are finally seeing the Matt LaFleur offense. 
after a bye week, still nothing figured out. And Joe Barry, Matt's hire, the run defense, still a major problem. Given the way the offense plays in the first half, why not just punt the ball back right away until halftime? Oh yeah, where did Aaron Jones go the last 15 minutes? Oh yeah, why is Love going for the home run when all they need is three points? So, yeah. Is that, was that your whole message? Yes. All right, so thank you for that, Ed. Um, good stuff here. Yeah, the Matt LaFleur offense. Isn't it funny that we all thought that? I know I was, I'll, I won't lie, I was right, I was the leader of the pack on the, well, we're really going to get to see Matt LaFleur's offense now. And I don't even know what the Matt LaFleur offense is six games in. What is it? I thought it would be more run-based and more kind of, you know, not sh- the short to intermediate passing game is what I kind of thought it would be. With, you know, more sporadically taking shots downfield. And maybe it is, but just Aaron Jones has been hurt and we haven't seen it. Maybe that's what it is. I, don't, I thought A.J. Dillon ran, you know what? And I want to give credit to A.J. Dillon because I've ripped him pretty good on the show and I know a lot of people have. I thought this was his best day of the year by far today. 15 carries, 61 yards, two catches, 34 yards, showed some nifty footwork on the one reception, the 29-yarder. Um, so 17 touches for 95 yards. That's a damn good day. He had a good day. I want to give A.J. Dillon some credit before I forget because we've all ripped him and you got to, if you're going to rip a guy, then you got to give him credit when he plays well. But maybe that was the plan, was it was going to be more run-based and more, you know, short-intermediate passing game. But they've just, Jones has been hurt, and then Bakhtiari got hurt, and then Jenkins got hurt, and Watson's been in and out of the lineup. And, you know, maybe that's the Matt LaFleur offense, and they just haven't had a chance to show it. I don't know, but this version of whatever the Matt LaFleur offense is right now sucks, for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, it sucks. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, no arguments here. Um... It's disappointing. The bye week thing is really disappointing. I thought, you know, I thought they'd figure something out. I didn't know what it would be, but I hope they'd figure out something. And it was basically just what we've seen. Didn't feel like anything had changed. That's really disappointing. Um, Yeah, the run defense, I talked about that, Ed. The run defense is terrible. That Williams kid for Denver is a hell of a running back. But, I mean, <laughs> I just, I don't expect anything different at this point. I don't mean to sound defeatist, but it's, that's what they are. Um, your thing about punting the ball back is funny. That made me laugh. Uh, Jones, I don't know. Again, I think I think maybe he just, maybe they had him on a, a snap count. I don't know what it is. The usage there doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And the love thing, yeah, you know, I talked about that too. I just think that was really disappointing. You know, they really, it was not necessary. For him to throw the ball that deep downfield on third and 20. It really wasn't. It was hero ball. You know, it was hero ball to the extreme. And to have it happen two weeks in a row. In spots where it was unnecessary on third downs. Is really, again, really disappointing. It's a really disappointing sign. For where he's at in his development. So thank you for that, Ed. Great stuff. Our final email comes from Jennifer. Jen. Oh, it's a lady. That's a terrible ladies' man impression, but oh, a lady wrote in. All right, that's nice. Hey, and for ladies listening, you know you can you you all can write in too. It's a little bro heavy <laughs> when I open the mail bags and stuff. So hey, nice to hear from a lady. Good stuff. That's cool. So Jen writes, "Dear Lamps, 
Thank you so much for your wonderful podcast. I can't tell you how much I appreciate listening to you after a win, lose, or draw. Despite the fact I am generally miserable, (laughs) glass is always half empty, am I right? You always manage to bring a smile to my face. I am eagerly awaiting the next show from a motel bathroom, (laughs) and I will gladly contribute to the Lemp's Kickstarter chair fund. Thank you so much for being you. You're the best. With much gratitude and Packer love, Jen, go Pack Go. Jen, thank you. Thank you so much. That, I really appreciate that. That's a really nice email. Um, That's great that you tune in no matter what, you know. I, I hope I hope even if this season does spiral, people keep listening. So it's great to hear that. Um, Nice to know I always make you smile. That's great. Uh... The next show from a motel bathroom. Um, I don't know when that will be. There's talk of maybe the fam heading back up to the Yoop for Thanksgiving. Maybe going to the, my hometown of Marquette. In which case, I'd probably be doing the podcast after the Lions game. That'll be that'll be fun. Thanksgiving night. <laughs> I'll probably be half drunk and full on turkey. In the in the bathroom, probably at the Hampton Inn again, on the lake, doing the podcast with a couple of beers and the chair set up. I had a great setup. If you haven't seen it on Instagram, I tweeted a picture of what my setup was. It was a I had the I had the hotel I had the sink area I had the, the sink that was really wide to the right of the sink, so there was enough cha- enough space for me to wheel my chair in and I could put my laptop and my mic down. And I had space for a couple of beers. the The acoustics in the bathroom were good, so. Thanksgiving will probably be the next chance that the next time that might happen. Yeah, so I'm glad that you're eagerly awaiting that. Again, how many shows do how many podcasts do a show from a hotel bathroom? Me. That's it. I'm the, that's how dedicated I am to all of you. <laughs> um and that's cool that you contribute to the Lem- the Lemp's Kickstarter chair fund. So that's one. So I need to get more of you that will tell me you'll you'll uh, kick in, you'll, you'll gladly contribute because I'm sitting on this stool again and it hurts my ass so bad. It like jams my ass like into my lower back. It's really uncomfortable. But again, I love you all so much, I put up with it. But if I could get a good chair down here, courtesy of all of you, that would be great too. <laughs> so, and thank and Nirla, thank you so much for being here. That, I really appreciate that, Jen. That's a great email. Thank you so much. And I'm really... I'm really, I'm really uh, honored to have you as a listener, and for all of you, that's I feel that way too. All right, so that's face, that's Twitter, the Twitter DMs, email. Should we go to Facebook? Yeah, we'll go to Facebook. All right, here we go. Comes from my friend Daniel, out in Vancouver, Canada, Vancouver, British Columbia. He writes, wow, how can you have so much time to prepare for ball games and just blow it against the worst teams in the league? Well, maybe because we stink more than they do? At this point, we have to admit that this is a bottom 10 team, maybe worse. A bunch of positions have to be questioned and jobs should be on the line. Matt LaFleur, to me, in the first place, because he can't figure out what to do. Barry, too. Whatever sport he's coaching, it's not football. It's tough to watch because of the amount of talent we have on the team. Or maybe all those first-rounders just suck. I don't know. Looks like the Canucks don't suck this year, so I can rely on them. But the Packers better figure out what they are soon, or all those douchebags were right with dark times being ahead for Green Bay. I'm not very much into college football, but anything we could use from top 10 draft prospects? Any good reason to tank? 
Boy, I tell you, I've seen a lot of people talk. I really did not think that the word tank would be thrown around at this point, but I certainly understand why some people might be leaning that way after a loss like today. Okay, so um, let's see. A lot to unpack here. Good stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, at this point, this, this definitely is a bottom 10 team. There's no question about that. I think they're they if the draft were today, they'd be picking 7th. I think I saw that right after the game. So they're definitely a bottom 10 team right now, no question. Um, okay, so you make a good point here about the amount of talent we have. Because I saw a lot of people, people were tweeting at me after the game, and I saw a lot of people saying in general, like, well, this team doesn't have a lot of talent. I don't agree. Maybe I'm alone on that. I think this team is plenty talented. You're telling me a defense with Kenny Clark and Wyatt, I know he left the game with the injury today, but Wyatt and Gary, and Quay Walker, and a guy, a, a talented young guy like Van Ness, and Preston Smith, and Razul Douglas, and now Jaw was out again because his back injury flared up, um, and Savage left with the injury. But th- those guys I named, that's you're telling me those guys aren't talented? They are. You know what I mean? And you're telling me, like, on offense that, you know... Musgrave isn't a talented young guy, and Watson's not talented, and Reed, and there's, I think there's plenty of talent. I don't agree at all with that argument that this isn't a very talented team. I call bullshit on that. I think this is an incredibly talented football team. That the coaching staff is not maximizing the talent. They are not preparing the talent in any real way. So, no, I don't think, I think there's a lot of talent, absolutely. Um, I don't think all those first-rounders suck, not at all. Uh, the Canucks, so they, yeah, they're, they're off to a good start this year. I'm telling you, I said the Red Wings were going to make the playoffs. It sure looks that way. How about Debrin Cat? How about, how about Alex Debrin Cat? Huh? What does he have? Six goals in the first six games? I'm still not getting his last name. I'm butchering it. I apologize, but I apologize for that. But um, they're off to, they have the number one power play in the league. So even if the Packers season goes poorly between the Red Wings and the Bucks, I think I might have a good winter, which. That's good anyways. A winter into the spring. Um, yeah, here's the thing about the dark times. You touched on that. I want to talk about that quick because I saw a lot of people saying that. The thing is, it's a different era now. For anybody who's worried that that's coming, it's a different era now in the NFL. Teams are never, teams are rarely really good or really bad for long. Now, there are some anomalies, right? In both ways, but Teams are rarely really good or really bad for long in the modern-day NFL. It's not set up for dynasties or for teams to suck forever, you know, with the salary cap and parity and all of that. So even if this is a rough stretch and we have a rough couple of years, like, there's a pretty good chance that this this won't be like this forever. It's certainly, I can't imagine it being like 20 years like it was for the 70s and 80s. I can't imagine that ever happening again, no. So I think we're okay on that. Um, anything we could use from top 10 prospects? Well, it looks like a pretty good draft for offensive tackles. Looks like a pretty good draft for quarterbacks. So I, I don't, you know, I think I have another love question, a quarterback thing I'll get to in a little bit, but tackles, you know, the kid Alt from Notre Dame is pretty good. I can't think of the kid's name from Penn State, but he looks like a top 10 guy maybe, so... For a team that, you know, we're watching Rasheed Walker. He had that great start to the season. Walker's been really, really subpar since. Yeah, he has not not done well at left tackle. So, 
Right now, it would certainly seem that the fact that there's a lot of good tackles, that would seem to lean towards Green Bay. So that could be something to keep an eye on. So thank you for that, Daniel. Our next one comes from Sean. He writes, The offense is painful to watch. Even the touchdowns were ugly. This team is headed in the wrong direction, and this is a moment where I wish we had an owner because this entire coaching staff and front office is failing, and there does not seem to be much accountability. Coming out of a bye week with... Coming out of a bye week so flat against the worst team in the league? Embarrassing. Sadly, I don't think it is going to be the low point of the season. Shout out to the other Sean and all the other listeners. So you're representing the Seans because the other Sean didn't write in this week. So you're carrying the flag for the Seans this week. And then Kyle was carrying... Well, no, we had two Kyles. So the two Kyles were carrying it for the Kyles, and you're carrying it for the Seans. So at least we have some from both categories, which is good. Um... If they had an owner, that's an interesting question. Although, you know, on the flip side of that, if you have an owner, there's more of a tendency for the owner to be meddlesome, which can be a problem. Although I suppose Murphy with this whole triangle of authority thing that he had, right? The silos of communication or whatever the hell he called it. That could be considered that too, so. Um, here's the thing. I understand what you're saying. I think Murphy holds these guys pretty accountable. I mean, look at what Murphy did with McCarthy. You know, the second McCarthy really started to slip and it was like you could get tickets to the games on StubHub for 30 bucks and there was not a lot of interest. Murphy stepped in, you know. So I do think Murphy, I don't think he's like asleep at the wheel or anything. Like I said earlier, I think his knee-jerk reaction will be to fire someone if this thing really spirals out of control. But... With this whole, again, the transfer of power as far as the team presidency goes, I don't know how much that's going to throw a wrench into everything. So there's a lot that's up in the air on that. Um, I think he holds these guys accountable. And again, if this season spirals out of control, even if Lafleur and Gutekunst are back, I'm almost positive there will be major, major changes as far as the defensive coaching staff and maybe even on the offensive coaching staff. I could see that happening. You know, Adam Stenovich, great offensive line coach. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say I know what he does as offensive coordinator, but I can tell you, you know, the offense hasn't been as good since Hackett left. I can say that. So, does Stenovich, is that a direction they look to change? I, maybe. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, it's really, it's embarrassing. Again, it was real, today was embarrassing. There's no other way to, to say it. So, yeah, well said. So, thank you, Sean. All right. All right, so those that's Twitter. Okay, so I got I got to go through this. I got Twitter, the Twitter DMs, email, Facebook. We have to go to, oh, yeah, IG. We've got IG. Let's go to the egg bag. <laughs> Not now. All right. Comes from my pal Josh on Instagram. And again, if you follow on Instagram, you can just DM me there if you want to get your question or comment on the show that way too. Josh writes, good evening, Lamps. I don't know how else to put this, so I'll just say that Matt LaFleur's offensive scheme is nothing short of an abomination, an outrage against nature. He's perverted everything Kyle Shanahan taught him and used it for evil, and he has to be stopped. Watching this offense fiddle-fuck its way through four quarters of terrible football is like how I would imagine pleasuring myself with a cheese grater would go. Kind of funny, but mostly painful. Top eight pick, here we come, Josh. Josh, you used the term fiddle fuck. (laughs) 
which I've never heard before. I thought I'd heard every other way to use that, to, to use that word in some <laughs> greater thing. <laughs> and the cheese crust, the cheese greater thing. I, mean, I, I got to catch my breath here. Oh, my God. All right. Um, yeah, I think it's, I mean, I guess I'm surprised. I mean, I, you know, he's worked with love for three years. Like, I really thought they'd have some plan of, like, what the offense would look like. And, again, like I said a little a while ago, maybe they did and all these injuries have just effed it up so much that they've never been able to run it. I don't know. I can't say. But whatever this offense is, their running is an abomination. There's no question about that. Even when they have good stretches, it's overall been terrible. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's just, it's really bad. You know, and maybe people have talked about maybe he should give up offensive play calling duties. Maybe that's maybe that's a change they make after the season if this spirals. It's hard to see him handing off play calling duties to Adam Stenovich, though. So again, maybe that's a change they make. Maybe they get rid of Stenovich and they bring in someone who's more of an established play caller, and Lafleur can be more of an overseer. Maybe that's the maybe that's the decision they make. I don't know, but. You know, head coaches do not like giving up play calling. Remember when McCarthy gave it up to, uh, oh my God, I'm trying, I'm drawing a blank now. Um, what's the quarterback's coach's name? When McCarthy, I can't think, I'm drawing, oh my God, I'm embarrassed, I'm drawing a blank. But when McCarthy gave it up a few years back, and then what was it, six or seven games into the year, he took it back. These guys don't really want to give up the play calling, but that might be, maybe that's something LaFleur looks into. I don't know. Maybe that could be a fix in the future. You know, it's an interesting idea anyways. So thank you for that, Josh. He cracked me up. So that was good stuff. Appreciate it. Our final one comes from my other former Old Bag of Donuts podcast co-host, one of my other bestest friends in the world, Gene Bossling. Gene, I give you the hammer every week. No exception this time, so let's go. Gene writes... If not for that Jenkins holding penalty, I think they win the game. And there were a number of other penalty issues with this one. But I'm starting to wonder, man. If they end up picking, say, 7th overall, do you think about it? It'd require them to give up on the guy they traded up to get. And I've got enough questions about Lafleur's ability to develop QBs right now that it's hard to say if the next guy would be any better. But it's hard for me to rule it out right now. Second time he's had a chance to win the game and he goes hero ball mode, with the same sloppy Favre to Rodgers to Love footwork we've seen take over with Packers QBs. They got monumental breaks on both touchdowns, and even then they blew the lead. They're young and unrefined in a lot of spots, but if you don't have the coach-QB combination right, none of that really matters. In a QB class that's supposed to be this good, it just makes me wonder. So this is what I was talking about earlier when I was answering Daniel's question. I said there was some stuff on quarterbacks. This is why I'm talking about that. You may, buddy, you make a great point. Your point about, you know, not about questioning Lafleur's ability. I would also question Gutekunst's ability. Like if the love thing, do, if we get to the end of the year, hypothetically, and it just does not look like love is going to be the guy, right? The development's not happening. All the same issues keep popping up. The accuracy's not getting better. The, the decision-making, all that. If none of that is getting better, and they and, and you start thinking about it. Here's here's where I would have pause about having this current regime pick the quarterback. Look at Gutekunst's track record with quarterbacks, right? 
trades for Deshaun Kaiser. Now, they didn't give up much there. They traded, what was it, Demarius Randall? But they thought Kaiser might be a guy that they could develop, was a guy they liked. Was a former, was, it, was Kaiser a first or second round pick? High pick, anyway. And, you know, Kaiser ended up being nothing. Is he even in Canada now? So that wasn't great. And here's the other one. Drew Locke. Remember the 2019 draft? By all accounts, Goot was ready to take Drew Locke from Missouri in the second round. And then Denver did him a favor and jumped ahead of Green Bay and took him. Goot ends up taking Elton Jenkins. That pick worked out really well. But Goot really liked Drew Locke. And then Goot really liked Love enough to give up a fourth round pick to go up to get him in the 2020 draft. So if the Love thing isn't doesn't look like it's going to happen if we get to the end of the year. You, I'm not sure you can keep Gutekunst as general manager if you want to go to a new quarterback. Because do you really trust his ability to evaluate the position? Kaiser, Drew Locke, again, love if it doesn't work out. Because you're right, it looks like a great quarterback class. And if the Packers are picking, I mean, right now they're seventh, but if this thing spirals... They could be looking at a top four, top five pick. And at that point, you know, with a guy like you, you know, North Carolina's Drake May sitting right there, do you maybe move up a spot to get him? But the thing is, again, if you're going to, so what I'm saying is if you're going to go, if you're going to move on from love, I almost feel like you have to move on from Gudikuns too. Because I'm not sure I trust his ability to evaluate the position. In that case. And with three years to develop love, I'm not sure I trust Lafleur's ability like you talked about in, in your in your uh, question. So if they get to the end of the year and they don't want to go forward with love, I almost feel like then you do have to clean house and get a new general manager and coach. Because I'm not sure I trust these guys to pick and or develop the, the next guy. You know? to pick the right guy or develop him properly. So, yeah, if they move on... You're right, though. I mean, you do you do wonder. I wonder, too. Watching Love make the same mistakes these last few weeks, you know, you're just going to kind of go like, is this guy getting it or not? And accuracy is a tough one. You know what I mean? You can improve your decision-making, but can you really improve your downfield accuracy? Like, I don't know if you can't... I mean, I think there's some instances where it's happened... But usually if a guy's inaccurate, he's just kind of inaccurate. So watching the love these last few weeks, I mean, yeah, it's made me wonder. Like, you know, he talked about, I talked about May, but like, even look at a guy like McCarthy from Michigan or, you know what I mean? Someone like that or the kid from Washington or whoever. Like, you're right. It looks like a really good year for quarterbacks. So there's a lot of questions, man. I, I'm not probably really answering, but I'm just saying like, if they're going to move on from love, I almost feel like you have to clean house and start over and let someone else make that decision and let someone else develop that player, whoever the next quarterback would be. Because you're right, the hero ball stuff, again, the hero ball stuff too was bad. You know, it's the decision-making, the accuracy, but it's just the hero ball, yeah. So, yeah, I'm trying to go through your other stuff here. If they end up picking, say, 7th, I'll say this. So to answer your first question, if they end up picking 7th, I probably would say no. Take, like, the tackle from Notre Dame or something and, you know, 
give Love one more shot. But if the pick ends up being top three, top four, top five, and Love is struggling still, you know, I don't know. Maybe you consider it. That's kind of where I'm at right now, to be honest. Yeah, maybe you consider it. I think you have to at least consider it, right? And then uh, hopefully, because you're right, none of this matters if the coach-quarterback combo does. You're right. That's what it's all about in the NFL now. If you got the right coach, but the quarterback is no good, dead in the water. If you got the right quarterback, but the coach is no good, same deal. You need to have both. So that's going to be, that's what it's all about. I totally agree with you. Um, And I hope with one of their second round picks, they take Tyler Newbin from the University of Minnesota. (laughs) Did you watch him against Iowa? He could fix a lot of what ails the Packers on the back end of this defense. I'm telling you, Tyler Newbin, safety, Minnesota. They should get him with one of those second round picks. I really think so. Okay, so that's Twitter, the Twitter DMs, the email, Facebook, Igbag, and that's everybody. I hope that's everybody. If I forgot anybody, I'm sorry. I think that's it, though. Okay, so thanks to everyone who wrote in. I know this was an incredibly shitty loss, so maybe you just want to forget about it ASAP. But a lot of you wrote in anyways, and I really appreciate that. We look ahead now to next week. The Packers will be back in action, back at Lambeau Field for a game with the aforementioned Minnesota Vikings. That one is set for a noon kickoff. Probably going to be a lot of noon kickoffs for this team if things don't start improving quickly. I'll say that. The Vikings, it's been a tough start to the year for them. Boo-hoo. But they probably aren't as bad as their record suggests, to be honest. At least not from what I've seen. They clearly weren't as good as their record last year. And they aren't as bad as their record this year. I think that's fair to say. No Justin Jefferson. All-world wide receiver. He's on IR with a hamstring injury. But they still have some weapons. TJ Hawkinson at tight end. Jordan Addison, the rookie from USC. He looks like a player. And you know, Kirk Cousins, we all make fun of Kirk Cousins, right? But because he can be hit or miss and because he's kind of a goofy dude. But when he's on, he can be dangerous. We've seen it. And it's a rivalry game. And Minnesota is in a very similar spot to Green Bay. A team kind of fighting to right the ship to save their season from a full-on nosedive. So this one should be a battle. And frankly, it's about as must-win as a late October game can be for the Packers. So yeah, they have to come out on top here. It's a must. And of course, I'll be back to recap that one win-loser-draw next Sunday night, next Monday morning before you hear it. So keep your eyes and your ears open for that one. And yes, I'll keep you posted. So until next time, whenever that may be, I am Chris Lempesis. This has been Lemp's Talking Pack. Thank you so very much for listening, Packer Nation. I love you, I love you, I love you. Yes, even you, 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 and you all in the back couple rows. Please stay safe out there in this crazy world. And remember, always and forever, go, pack, go. Go.